Welcome to Photo Geek Weekly, episode 160, recorded on September 16th of 2021, the Photo Geekery Show, where I'm your host, Don Kamarechka, and uh, I typically just scour the internet for all of the interesting photography news, the geeky stuff. It could be technical or ethical or uh, peering into patents of things that might be a future product years from now, but we just dig into that photo geek stuff weekly. And with me is always a guest host. And this is a live episode. So thank you for those that are tuning in live on YouTube, sort of a last minute thing. So if you didn't know about this before, I promise to be better at that in the future. But the person behind the scenes pushing all of those buttons as my guest host this week is the wonderful Steve Brazel. Steve, how are you doing today? Good now that everything's working. For now, uh, yeah. I I almost want to promise you that something's going to break halfway through. But, well, uh, and, and again, for those that don't know, the setup that I use has is set up for the critique show we do before. And so when we do this live, I have to switch scenes and uh, profile collections and open websites. And and uh, yeah, in some cases, I miss something or something like that. But we're back up and live. Good to see you again, my friend. Good to see you, too. And uh, how have you been? It's been a while since you've been on this show. And I know that you've had a lot of stuff taking up a ton of your time, everything from live concert shoots to home renovations gone awry. Yeah, it's been it's been kind of a crazy couple of months once, quote unquote, the world stopped ending. uh you know, I, I'm a house shooter for a venue down here, a house photographer, and we've got concerts going at that venue again. And we've been remodeling our backyard for what is now almost nine months, but I can see daylight. We actually have water in the pool remodel now. So that's a good start. Um, Fantastic. Yeah, just doing that, doing behind the shot, doing the critique shows with you and doing concert photography. And there's been some great shows coming to Southern California. And you're still doing your KCAL stuff? Still doing the radio stuff as well. I, if, I, if I have my choice, I will never give up radio. And then uh, I'm into martial arts, so I'm doing a lot of the martial arts stuff because I've got some tests coming up. So, yeah, just busy as heck. Fantastic. Uh, and, and me too. I mean, we're in the preparation phase of, uh, of moving to Eastern Europe, which is no small task. Um, but it's almost like I haven't even started packing yet because I haven't, because I need to take as much things as possible, um, just keeping it all functional until the last possible moment. Shipping books, making prints, taking pictures. I've got clients asking for all sorts of stuff and they need it yesterday. So it's a challenge to, to juggle all of that. I've got an appointment for a long-term visa uh, on Monday, and so the ball is rolling. Uh, and actually, uh, Monday uh, is the Canadian federal election. Any Canadians out there listening to this, please go out and vote. I don't care who yes. you vote for, but just go vote. Make everybody's voice heard. Uh, and, uh, and and I mean, don't vote if you're not informed. I should stipulate that. I mean, I don't want to make this political or anything, but take a look at every party's platform. And make a pros and cons chart for yourself. I do this every election. Uh, this year, it's really hard for me to figure out who to vote for. Uh, I think I finally narrowed it down. I'll keep the choice to myself for now. But it's uh, you know it's good to be an informed voter and feel like you're a part of the democratic process uh, at the end of the day. So I completely I, I think, agree. Uh, thank you. Uh, and uh, regardless of what co country you're in, uh, please be a proper, uh, proper citizen. Make sure you vote. I, I even vote uh, when we did our municipal election. 
uh, I wrote to some of the specific candidates uh, with questions that I had about our municipality. And only two of them wrote back to me. Uh, one of them I did not align with and the other person I voted for. So uh, you, you make a difference, everybody, when, when you cast those votes. And I will also say that uh, casting votes, there's another thing going on right now. This is a totally minor thing, but um, there is a visualizing science uh, uh, image contest that is going on right now. Um, and I believe it's, uh, I don't know if it's exclusive to Canadians, but it is uh, sponsored by by Canada. And uh, I have an image in the People's Choice Award. I've posted it on Twitter. I've posted it on Facebook, where uh, it's an image of um, a Madagascan sunset moth. And uh, I, you know what? I hate contests that are based on just votes from the general public. But this is one of them. I entered the general contest. They chose one of my images for this People's Choice Award. So I am going to try to take advantage of my audience to win that contest. And I know that I don't want to say that, that that's wrong. I'm saying that that's what always happens. And that's a flaw in these popularity contests. It's basically whoever has the largest social media following wins regardless of the quality of the work. But right. if that, if that's the game, there's a lot of those type of things. I mean, that's the right. day we live in. Uh, if, but if that's the game, that's the game I'm going to play. And uh, there is the only image that's a, a competitor to mine isn't actually an image. It's a computer cartoon rendering of an ant that's farming fungus. Um, and while I agree that the contest uh, allows for uh, artificial imagery, I mean, computer generated stuff that's usually in the spirit of trying to conceptualize something that could not otherwise be imaged. But these ants and their fungus farm growing stuff can be imaged. That's not impossible. So I feel like I would be doing a disservice letting that image win the competition. That's my own personal opinion. You might disagree with me, but I would like very much for my Madagascan sunset moth uh, wing portion image to win that competition. It was 997 separate shots, uh, uh, focused act rather, with a 20 times Michitoyo plan APO microscope objective. Not, uh, not a not, not an easy image to take, Steve. You're waving your finger at me. What do you want? No, to say? I just ha I just have to inject. If somebody out here has not seen that image, my God, man, it, you tweeted it the other day. I did. Go find that image. It's in the book too. Uh, go find that image. It's amazing. Thank you very much, and uh, and I hope it wins that contest. And so the link will be in the show notes at photogeekweekly.com. Uh, if you're not listening to this live, you can find that there, and I would appreciate your support in winning that uh, contest. I think it's open until voting uh, until September 22nd at some point. So there is still time, if you're listening to this, to go in there and show your support. It would be very much appreciated. Showing your support is also just listening to this show and any commentary that you can provide. Uh, you know, after the fact, I love when I get emails from people suggesting stories. In fact, one of the stories in the rundown this week was suggested by a listener. Uh, but let's get into those stories, shall we? Story number one, uh, big news in the past week. There's actually been two really big stories. One of them is the uh, announcement and in the hands of reviewers what you need to know about the new Canon EOS R3. It has been officially announced. The press releases are out. There's lots of data and details and hands-on experiences about the EOS R3. Now, Steve, I know you're a Canon uh, R-mount shooter right now, so it's great to have you on. I am now. On. 
you are now. You've you've made the leap. Uh, you're shooting with an R5, I believe, right? I actually am shooting with uh, an R5, usually on my right hip, and an R6 on my left hip. I always so, carry two bodies because I keep a wide angle on one. So, you know, in, in when I had my 5D4 on my right hip and my 5D3 on my left hip, the 5D3 was always either my 15 millimeter fisheye or my 16 to 35 Mark II. That's now the 15 to 35 RF lens. And my right hip alternates between a 24 to 70 and the 70 to 200. So the, the trinity of lenses. And, you know, you look at people that do action photography, of which I would consider yourself uh, inclusive within. Uh, you're always, you're not always, but you're going to always want to have oh, uh, two on, camera hold bodies. Hold on one second. Uh, real quick. Gary is saying no sound when it was a full-size web page. Okay. Well, um, there we are. Well, maybe we There can... we go. Now, now I don't know why that would have been unchecked. That now uh, you should have sound now. All right. So that should be fixed, which is interesting. Well, we okay. still have the Zencaster recording in the background, and I'll leave this little blooper in. Uh, Sounds just, good. Just because it's doing it live, and, uh, yeah. and we have the fun and frivolity of live entertainment here. As I was just referencing you doing live entertainment photography or sports or you know at action in any sense, having two uh, camera bodies uh, one on each hip is helpful because you don't have the time to change lenses. You need to just uh, intuitively grab whichever lens is going to sh uh, suit that shot and get it as quickly as possible because that's what action is all about. Correct. Uh, and that's also part of what the EOS R3 is all about. It is a camera designed for the action photographer. So uh, I, I really want to know what you think about the specs for this. We've got a uh, 12 frames per second with an uh, with a, a mechanical shutter, 30 frames per uh, second with a, an electronic shutter of a 24.1 megapixel. We don't know the exact quality of the sensor in terms of the uh, you know the, the tests and comparisons and everything at this point. That will come as time goes on, uh, but it is purported to be one of the best sensors in terms of quality that Canon has ever produced. Even though it's a lower resolution sensor. For the type of camera that it is, I don't think it's low resolution. I think it's exact resolution for what the job demands. Um, and uh, and you want good pixels, you want fast pixels, uh, and fast autofocus too, which again, it's purported to be record-breaking in terms of the performance compared to other cameras in its class. At a price point of $6,000 US. Yeah. So this, this really kind of... I mean, the camera looks good. Uh, it's one of the first cameras that Canon has produced outside of a one series lineup that has a grip built in. So it's really aiming to be that professional camera. Uh, and in fact, I think a lot of the features eclipses the current 1DX series lineup, uh, making a lot of photographers that might be shooting those cameras to jump ship over to the mirrorless platform while still leaving room for a higher priced R1 series product in God the future. Help us. But I mean, what would that be? That would be like $9,000 maybe as a price differential from, from the R3. The whole price I'm here, the whole price here is interesting because when you look at the, look at the R line, right? The mirrorless line for Canon, you've got the R6 is around 2,500 bucks. You jump 1,500 bucks, $4,000 for an R5. The 1DX Mark III was around 6,500. So I kind of calculated in my head that 
because there still has to be room for a one series R camera, mirrorless camera. I figured, okay, you go from the R5 to the R3, 1500 bucks difference. So I pegged it maybe 5500 at the top end 59. It landed at the top end. When they come out with a 1D now, it's got to be. I mean, they almost have no choice. It's got to be 7500. No, no, I question. think it's going to be more than that. Uh, I I sincerely think that it's going to be a camera of exclusivity uh, to the point where, you know, if you're doing a really big budget thing, you'll want the best camera that Canon has to offer in that space. And at that point, the price doesn't matter. Uh, so they can charge. But what are I, they going to put in it? Yeah, well, I, I don't know. Because this I, body, the R3, this is literally... The camera I want, not that I need, I don't need it, but I, what I shoot live music is very similar to sports. And this thing has everything I want. When I bought the R5, I didn't really want 45 megapixels. When I bought the R6, I didn't really want 20. I was used to 24 and 30 on my 5D Mark III and 5D Mark IV. So the 24 is perfect. 30 frame per second E shutter. And the key here is Jeff Cable shooting it at the Olympics clearly had no rolling shutter issue with fast action sports because the readout is so fast that that's been solved. So you can do fast action, it would seem, at 30 frames a second on your electronic shutter. And you even get flash at a sync speed of 180th of a second. This thing, I, I mean, the we'll get into the eye control AF, I'm sure. But this thing, this thing has an awful lot to like. 164,000th of a second shutter speed, 14 bit raw. And the biggest thing, no blackout on your electronic viewfinder. In most cases, I think there might be some edge cases where, where it could still be possible when the buffer is completely full or uh, when the entire camera is under, uh, under heavy stress, but yeah, yeah no but blackout is really like up. 150 shots. I mean, sure. But at 30 frames per second, you know that you get there after five seconds of shooting something. So you know it, it. It's it does seem distant when it's that big of a buffer, but you never know how quickly you're going. Yeah, to Yeah, that's true. The end that of is it. true. Uh, you know, especially for, for me photographing something like snowflakes. Obviously, I have to have a flash that keeps up with me. So there's your limiting factor. Um, but uh, with extensive focus stacking of a subject or gathering so many frames of a uh, of a macro subject just to get that one where an ant has its arm up in this particular pose uh, you might have to take 300 shots in order to get exactly that so there, there are there are moments where you you will hit against those limitations no matter how far off they are and no camera is going to be removed from that but you know I also you mentioned the uh, eye tracking autofocus which is such a a neat uh, concept that Canon brought out with their first three series camera, uh, the EOS three back in the yeah. film and abandoned in the nineties and they abandoned it in the early two thousands cause it was hit and miss. And I think that it might still be hit and miss to some degree. Um, I have not heard much on it. I, I haven't heard a whole lot, but I can imagine, you know, when I'm looking through a, a viewfinder, say I'm doing bird photography and I might be tracking a particular bird, but my eyes might wander around the frame slightly to see if there's anything more interesting happening. 
right? You've got your main subject that you're focusing on, but you might be looking off to other interactions, say another bird that's in the background that might be coming up and interacting with your main subject. Well, if my eyes move to the bird that's in the background at a different focus point, I don't want my focus to shift. Now, of course, the simple solution, just flip it to manual focus. You know exactly where your subject is going to be. But what if that interaction then causes both birds to leap into the air at a different point? Right. There's again, these are edge cases. These are not going to be the average everyday scenario. But I wonder if there's a way to like blink twice in order for you to lock the focus on your preferred subject, like some sort of uh, code that you could put into that system to, to make it work. And I don't think the initial iteration of it is going to um, uh, is, is going to have that. But at the same time, uh it's the fact that they're bringing it back out and putting this in a flagship camera. Uh, it, it might be pulled apart and put back together with some negative commentary and kudos to Canon for doing that on a flagship product like this because it's going to be that test bed. And if that test bed, uh, like it has in the past, was hit or miss, I, I hope that they don't abandon it. I really hope that they push forward and give us new ways to control our camera intuitively without taking our eyes off the action. I'm anxious to see how it works, right? I, I I mean, that's the thing. I won't know, like they even say, or at least I've seen written in numerous places, the more you register your eye, the more accurate it gets. And I'm wondering exactly what that translates to in, in real world space. I, there was an interesting comment, by the way, here on YouTube, since we are going live on YouTube. Um, first of all, Mike Martin says, if the R6 had been 24 megapixels, I would have gone that way instead of loving the R5. And that's where I'm at. This 24 megapixels to me is the sweet spot for what I shoot. But then Gary said, which I don't agree with, actually, seems like this is a Canon camera only for Canon shooters and not made to get people to switch from other brands. And it seems like a high price. And, and here's my my kind of thought on the camera in general. They have included stuff in this camera that I do think if you're a high-end camera owner, let's be honest, Nikon, you can spend $6,000 on a Nikon body. You, you can buy high-end bodies from almost every major brand manufacturer. If that's your world, I do think this is a camera you're going to look at and go, I don't know, I may want that. For example, I use an electronic viewfinder. I'm in a photo pit, right? But if you are the type that's going to use the LCD on the back, which, by the way, does give you much better battery life, just look at this LCD. My R5 is 2.1 uh, megapixels. The Sony A92 is 1.44 megapixels. This is 4.2. Yeah. This is, uh, this is a TV. This is gorgeous. You know, in terms of um, resolution, I think we're up beyond uh, 6 million dots in, in the EVF now in, in some cases. The more, the better. Uh, I think that uh, my current crop of cameras is at like the 5.7 million dots. Well, this, this EVF this is 5.69 yeah. million. Yeah. Uh, and, and so w when you get to that level, that's where more might be better, but more is definitely not needed. And so they really hit that, that sweet spot there. Um, Two things about this camera that were interesting to me. It has uh, in-body image stabilization, which a lot of the R bodies now have. Works with the lens for up to eight stops. For, well, you know, that might be marketing speak. I'd, I'd really like to see somebody pull eight stops of image stabilization uh, out of these setups. But, 
in that case, you have the ability to do pixel shift high resolution mode, which I do not see present in any of the feature lists or any of the rundowns or the hands-on usages. Uh, it might be hidden Why? in there. Maybe nobody's talking about it. For you... But for somebody shooting the Olympics, they don't need that. No, but what if you wanted to have a camera body that you could use for the Olympics? You want to have one camera body to rule them all, right? You want to have a pixel shift mode that quadruples the resolution to 96 megapixels. That might be a wonderful use case for somebody that does occasionally shoot landscape photography, is predominantly a sports photographer, but wants to have the ability to increase that resolution when it's available from Olympus and Panasonic and Sony and Fuji right? It's, it's on at least four other camera manufacturers uh, feature lists. And it's not across every product and, and every sensor size. I get that, but it's there. Canon and Nikon have not embraced this. And I wonder if it's a patent issue, if it would just cost too much to license the necessary patents, uh, or if it's just that they haven't bothered because nobody's been asking for it. Uh, I think I honestly, like for me, I have very little use for that, for what I shoot. And for me, this is purpose-built. This is a sports shooter body. If you're shooting sports, if you're shooting action, if you're shooting music, this is the, 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 the even the AF tracking has gone to a level beyond. This has not only the normal, you know, uh, animal and people, and the people now includes eye, face, head, and body, race cars, motorcycles, pets, but they had, they added a new AF thing to this that again, it's so purpose-built for sports. You have a user-defined AF zone mode. So instead of your normal AF zones that you blink around, center, left, right, hole, you can define your own rectangle. And the example they give, again, I haven't shot the thing. I don't even know if it, this works, right? But the example they give is you're shooting tennis. You could draw the rectangle above the net across the back part of the tennis court and not have that net compete for focus. Though that this is all designed for movement and action. Now, keep in mind, Steve, that I shot with a 1DX and a 1DX Mark II, almost never turning autofocus on. Um, when I was shooting Canon, You're I was young. Using... <laughs> well, no, no, I wasn't. I wasn't using it for the intended purpose. I was looking for big, high-quality pixels with good dynamic range and good frame rate for the kind of work that I was shooting at that time. Uh, and that was mostly macro photography, an entirely different use case, but it worked well with those camera bodies. Uh, that high resolution mode that I mentioned would be an advantage. Also could be an advantage, a toggle that I haven't seen anybody put on, on any flagship camera, um, you know, from Canon or Nikon. I can't remember if Sony has done this or not. Maybe somebody in the chat will chime in, but raw files have been limited to 14 bit. Sometimes you can bring it down to 12, uh, if you want to save space, but in the medium format space for, over a decade, you've been able to have 16-bit RAW files. The the converters that 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 have been built into the cameras to convert uh, into a digital file on your memory card have existed for a very long time to deliver 16-bit files. And often, when I'm uh, saving my master files, uh, it's a TIFF file, possibly with layers based on the edits that I was doing that I might want to revisit. Those are all 16-bit files. I I was kind of hoping that this camera would come out at least with an option. Give me give me a 16-bit analog to digital converter, please. I mean, th this has been one of those things that uh, it, 
how many people are asking for it? Well, probably not a lot, but if you're getting increasing dynamic range, as it's a new sensor from Canon, they're using a backside illuminated CMOS sensor. Stacked. It's stacked. It's supposed to be their best sensor ever. Uh, And if you're getting better dynamic range, then you're going to want a higher uh, bit space of the files in order to contain that all properly. that, That could be added in firmware though. Well, no, not necessarily. Uh, uh, yes, if they built the hardware into the camera to begin with, but they're only limiting Fair the 14-bit yeah. conversion. Yeah. Uh, but uh, that's something that I just, I don't know why it hasn't been there, especially when I'm seeing cameras. You know, we talked about the um, uh, the, the new RED 8K uh, camera in last week's, or I guess it was a week and a half ago's episode, uh, that had 17 stops of dynamic range. The more stops of dynamic range wow. you have, the more space you need to stick it uh, in terms of bit depth. So a bit of a letdown there, but I'm sure that Canon is no stranger to doing uh, you know, project class separation, right? Saving certain features for certain products uh, that you pay more for. And that could be a delineation for an R1 series down the road. Well, and let's be clear, Canon in that differentiation, or as people tend to call it, the cripple hammer, uh, Canon does not see the 5 Series as pro. Like You can ask them and they'll tell you. Up to the 5 Series, it's prosumer, and therefore you lose features that you know are long, well-developed and paid for. The ability for spot metering to follow your focus point doesn't in a 5 Series. You can move your focus point anywhere you want, spot metering speeders off, meters off the center. With the three series and the one series, those are both considered pro. So I would expect any three series to still get that kind of of feature. But but one thing we didn't talk about, though, is they did add something to these that I think is interesting, I think has potential. I'm just not sure yet. And that is the multifunction hot shoe. I'm really curious. So for those that don't know, the multifunction hot shoe, they added a row of pins to the hot shoe. And those pins can work with a microphone. They have a flash transmitter, which is way cheaper than the one that you normally buy now, the ST, whatever it is. Um, And there are other accessories that you can mount so that you don't need cables for your hot shoe accessories. Yeah, and other companies have done that. Uh, You know, Panasonic has their XLR input adapter that sits on the top of of a lot of their cameras um, that has extra pins for communication of those accessories. Sony uh, as well has an extra pin out. And they they haven't really done a whole lot uh, with that aside from adding microphone and connectivity to that end uh it says like it has a, a gps built in but wouldn't it be nice if some like super powerful gps unit could be added to the top uh or you know if you were some uh you know in some remote place to be able to have some sort of satellite internet uplink or th- th- these would be expensive very expensive accessories but they would allow added connectivity to the camera uh, i don't see you needing to do much more than connect to the outside world or outside signal with that adapter because we've already had such good connectivity with the adapters that have already existed. They've engineered around this problem and maybe it will simply allow, like you mentioned, for those extra accessories to become less expensive because they have to do less of the computational figuring stuff out, buttons and knobs and dials on that device itself and move more of that onto the camera body instead. Yeah, I think the people who need those accessories will need and love those accessories. Everybody else isn't going to care. And this camera's got connectivity, you know, galore. Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, Ethernet, 
Uh, dual card slots, obviously, CF Express B and then SD. Um, they're very specific, by the way, what speeds you need, depending on what video you're going to record. Ah, video. Um, Let's talk about that for a minute, okay. too, because uh, it does 6K video, but it does so internal raw recording. And I thought that was really interesting because the external modes at least don't currently list that it has raw recording with an external recorder. And they also don't state exactly what format that raw video is, whether it's ProRes raw or Blackmagic raw or some proprietary Canon version of raw video recording. Um, but that's promising to see that internal to the camera uh, rather than needing the external devices. And Canon is no stranger to this, but I am really hopeful that this becomes the norm, that if you need that, just like flipping the switch between JPEG and RAW for stills, you just have that same toggle for video if and when it's required. Yeah, and it does, you know, uh, DCI or UHD 4K up to 120, oversampled at 60. Uh, raw video, C-Log 3 um, in 10-bit. It also does 10-bit H.265, C-Log 3. But this is the big one because this is going to be the talking point if it proves true when it gets in people's hands. 4K 30 taken from 6K should not be temperature restricted 60p 4K or 6K raw will most likely be temperature restricted to around 60 minutes. They're saying it's 73 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, and this was an interesting like note that I had not seen uh, before this. Even with auto temperature power off set to high. So there is now a setting on whether or not to turn the thing off. You can um, choose to cook your sensor. And so it's yes, giving you, you the choose. option. And if you're doing all I 4K 120, you might get about 12 minutes. That's, uh, I, I mean, that, that's the processor just churning uh, as much as it possibly can to, to push that to the memory card. And, you know, I like for the, the work that I've shot that required that type of shooting, I'm doing two minute clips at most, right? Like I'm not. Right. Yeah, you're not uh, going to you're going to start it. And let it roll. Exactly. Uh, and some I guess you might. There are times that you might. If you were doing event, think about it. If you were, I'm just thinking, let's say you set up a remote camera on a boxing ring and you wanted to be able to go back later and get, you know, slow motion stuff. I suppose it could be handy, but yeah, it's a lot of, it's a lot of data. You're pushing. There, there are other tools for that, uh, that job description, right? Like it's not like yes. that just doesn't exist anywhere else. You can pay more for something cinematically designed for that purpose, but it's nice that they're rolling those video features into this larger <laughs> body. Um, and it, you know, I'll, I'll just, I admit that having used Canon cameras for a long time, um, it's got their classic design styles but it just feels like they're hitting a certain stride with just the curves and the edges and, and just how ergonomically ergonomically it, it looks uh, in, in the overall usability. And probably feels. Camera. I mean, my R5 in my hand and R6, which surprises me, I thought the R6 would feel small. They both feel really, really good uh, to hold, which is the problem I have with a lot of the other mirrorless bodies out there. The Sony's, the grip is so close to the lens mount and the Sony lenses kind of, they mount and they flare out and it hits my knuckles and is uncomfortable. And this is, I, I actually like this. Here's the one downside to this camera that I think could be for me a problem. It's still better than the R5, but so the, the EVF has two different settings. There's a power saving mode for your EVF and then there's smooth, which is where fast moving subjects look better. It's basically a higher refresh rate, right? It takes more power though. 
shocking amount more power. Yeah. So battery life using the EVF, not the LCD, but using the EVF in power saving mode, 620 shots on a battery. Uh, this is a big battery, 620 shots. Smooth mode, it drops to 440. Now, in the reviews that I read, and I read a ton of them, most people are reporting pronouncedly more than that, as you normally would. These are standards-based measurements, but still not great. If you go to the LCD, this was weird. I looked at the LCD using the LCD battery performance numbers on three, maybe four different review pages. And I saw numbers going up or down a hundred from this quoting Canon specs. And I don't know how you can quote Canon specs and get different numbers. The main numbers I've seen power saving mode is 860 and 770. But again, I've seen 960 and 870. I don't know why, but the LCD uses a lot less power than the EVF. And by the way, yeah. but all of this lower than the 1DX Mark III. Yeah, so they're they're improving uh, for sure. Now, in terms of the grip, you, you mentioned uh, how a camera feels in your hand. By far, still the best camera that I've held is the, the Lumix S1R or the S1. I mean, uh, the S1H to that degree as well, though it's a little bit heavier. But it actually, the, the S1H, I love the, the fact that it has a square inverted LCD that's black with white lettering on it, the same as, as the R3 here in this case. I, I find that that form factor just works really, really well. The grips on those cameras are great. Maybe they're taking cues from their competition. Um, but if they are good on them by choosing what works and integrating it into their own products. Um, so that that is the R3. Uh, as far as we know right now, uh, yeah, Steve's got a picture of it up there. It's a really, really fun uh, design, fully articulating screen. So this this reminds me a lot of the uh, the S1H that I have, which also shoots, well, it's 5.9K and it's raw to an external recorder, but it has a full articulating screen. It doesn't really hit limits for recording time. Uh, and it's got a lot of the same functionality in a body that does not have the added grip. So, uh, you know, but that camera, that camera costs thousands of dollars less than right. um, the, the R3. So it'll be really curious who adopts this. Of course, the S1H is not designed for sports photography. You know, so you're a jack of all trades, but maybe a master of none, or maybe you're a master of just that one and everything else is just a bonus to try to sell it to a more well-rounded audience. We'll see. Uh, once this gets in the hands of actual photographers, when we have comparison shots on all of the test charts, I will be diving in and taking a look. It is going to be very interesting to me because it, it all boils down to this. Like you and I just got done talking to Andy Anatko on the Critique Show, and I picture Andy Anatko talking about the price on this. Uh, to me, it all comes down to that price point balance, right? It, our photography is the art of compromise. I can get an R5, which is one heck of a camera for $4,000. So the features that they add to this while dropping from 45 to 24 megapixels, I'm okay with that. The For me, that could be worth it just for the better, you know, the, the less rolling shutter effect. But each person on their own is going to have to really weigh is it worth $2,000 more for this body? Um, that's going to have to be either a personal preference or the job is going to pay for it the first time out, of which now there are jobs like that. 
Uh, and if it's going to be well-paying enough and you want to have the best tool to do that job, then that's fine. There's a lot of people in different price brackets, but it's definitely not a beginner's camera. Uh, and I, I think that there will always be a need for these cameras. However, I think it's becoming a smaller pool of photographers that actually need to own one 24 seven rather than rent one for a particular job or gig uh, that requires the extra uh, electronic muscle, uh, you know, encapsulated within that camera body. Totally agree. So let's move on to our next story, which is uh, completely the antithesis of modern technology. But so too is photography being a mix of science and technology on one side and art and an ethereal sense of the beauty of the world around us on the other. And so uh, F-Stoppers has an article, it's actually a, um, a video, um, <laughs> how to use a magnifying glass as a camera lens to get unique photos and footage. And that that's not unlike a setup that I have personally used. I mean, I've got a number of them, I got, and I didn't even prepare this, they're just lying around on my desk, Steve. I have lenses, I've got cheap lenses. These lenses are projector triplet lenses. So uh, I've bought them for uh, double digit dollars on eBay. One was $15. I forget what the other one was, but they're not expensive. And I would just stick these inside bellows, inside the same bellows that you see somebody just gaffer taping. Kudos to gaffer's tape, saves lives and makes the world a better place. Um, it uh, They gaffer taped a uh, just a singlet so these are triplets. So there's three optics inside e each of these that, uh, you know, forms a slightly better image, although it has a nice soap bubble bokeh type effect. But a singlet can still be an artistic tool. That's a single lens that uh, that will just bend the light back in, but really doesn't do it well. Uh, and so if you take that, tape it onto some old bellows. Who has old bellows hanging around? Maybe you do. If you don't, I spent less than $100 on a set of them as well, which is the perfect tool. They were Canon FD mount, and that's infinitely adaptable to all this other stuff. Make your own lens. You know, I, I thought about that long and hard, and I've kind of been doing that, just putting bits and pieces together. But you can literally just make your own lens, you know, put your own name on it, right, right with a white marker on that gaffer tape and, and put your own signature there, serial number one, uh, as it would always be. But... What, what do you think of this, Steve? This experimental area of photography, is it just a niche gimmick that you will move on from or is there artistic merit that is worth exploring further? So I just think it's interesting somebody even came up with this, right? It's not the way my mind works. And the person who did this, by the way, Andy Day posted this on F-Stoppers, but the person who did this, uh, is it Photodiox? Photodiox, I always thought it was. Photodiox? Um, who does amazing stuff. I just popped it up for a second. thought, you know, I probably shouldn't put somebody else's video in, so I pulled it back down. But <clears throat> I played a little bit of it, of it playing. Go subscribe because just some really interesting stuff. And what, what I liked about this is a lot of the do-it-yourself stuff I look at and I think to myself, man, that's really cool. Yeah, I'll never do it. Because it's hard, right? Or it takes a significant amount of effort uh, or expense. Yes, this was, hold on, I need a macro focusing bellows and a magnifying glass and duct tape or gaffer's, gaffer's tape, tape, Steve, in this case. <laughs> so I might actually do this because the pictures are super cool. They have almost kind of a, 
like an Alfred Hitchcocky type mystery movie softness to them. Uh, very, very interesting. What was also interesting, though, is because you're using a magnifying glass, you don't have aperture blades. <clears throat> so the adapter, the lens adapter that he does that mounts to the camera from the bellows has a very ND built in so that he can effectively adjust light amount using the very ND. Again, Sean, brilliant. It doesn't affect your depth of field. Um, you would need uh, something like a Waterhouse Aperture drop-in plate that you could drop in right behind or somewhere in the mix um, uh, behind the uh, the element or heck, even in front. You can just tape a, a piece of construction paper with a hole in it of a specific size and shape and, and that becomes your aperture regardless of where it is in the optical formula um and uh, and play with that as well if you wanted to control but then that's going to give you a different feel just like if you wanted to shoot with a shallow depth in bright sunlight for 24 frames per second video yeah that neutral density or variable nd ends up being a useful component right. but there's all you're doing at that point is just taking either household stuff or stuff that's already in your camera bag and smushing it together to figure out a way that it's going to connect and be creative and be inventive. And that inventiveness, I think, is something that we've generally lost in photography. Uh, and I would, I would like to regain that in some way. And if it takes you to go to a children's science store to buy a magnifying glass and tape that to a set of bellows that you may or may not already own and play, then play you shall. I, I encourage everybody to do this. Well, and I would say, if you've got a child, like like when my son grew up, I built a computer with him, right? Now that I'm into photography, oh my God, if I had a young child, this is what I would do with them. This would be so much fun to make your own lens out of a magnifying glass. I mean, it's a school science project for all I care. It's just, I, I think this is going to be an interesting one. I will possibly do this, yes. I, okay, Steve. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna put out a challenge for you. Okay. H how about how about we both do this, and we both take pictures, and we compare the results. Uh, yes, I can definitely do that. All right. So there, there there's a photo challenge. The uh, the singlet bellows lens. Assuming I can get challenge. an RF adapter or an EF adapter that can go to my RF adapter. Absolutely you can. There is no question about that. And especially if you're using it for closer up stuff, uh, you know, you don't necessarily need a um, an infinity focus, but I'm sure you'd be able to right. get that anyhow, because you're going from a larger flange distance. You already own one. the bellows, don't you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so, and, and hey, <laughs> I... I I've even done some videos. Uh, as I said, I, I've used the projector lenses in, in with the bellows, and that worked quite nicely. But I've never used a singlet. Uh, it's always been just it, it wasn't on my radar, but now it is. And I want to extend this challenge to the Photo Geek Weekly audience. Um, try to do an interesting image with a singlet, with a magnifying glass optic, uh, and see what the results are going to be. It's a, it's a level playing ground because, you know, if, if you, if you see everybody complaining about, oh, my camera doesn't have such and such frames per second, or my lens is a little bit soft and blurry in this case. No, no, it becomes level when you're shooting with the simplest optics you possibly can. And it's not about the technology at that point. It's about the artistry of making a good image. And that's that level playing field that I think we should all at least once in a while, uh, you know, compare ourselves at. I agree. 
All right, well, let's go on to the latest and greatest of technology. Uh, once again, uh, doing a complete 180, although on a smaller scale than the R3. This past week has seen the announcement of a lot of new things from Apple, but for photographers, you'll probably care about the iPhone 13 Pro and Pro Max, the A15 Bionic chipset, new triple lens uh, camera array, and ProMotion display, plus a lot of extra stuff that went into this. Steve, I know you've got an iPhone 12 Pro Max, I believe, and I've got the 12 Pro. Um, so are you going to upgrade before we go any further? Yes, I'm going to upgrade because I'm on the Apple Upgrade program. So for me, I pay no interest payments every month is once you've made 12 payments, you can immediately get the next phone. So for me, it's a no brainer. I'm going to either pay another year on this phone and pay it off or pay payments. And here's the thing for me, this right here is the computer I use the most. I don't touch any computer and I'm an IT guy. I don't touch any computer more than I touch this phone hands down. So having Plus, let's be honest, I'm an early adopter because I'm a geek. So having the latest and greatest matters to me. But <clears throat> there are years of the iPhone. They used to be, you know, you'd have the normal year, then you'd have an S model. The TikTok. Then you'd have a normal yeah. year, then you had, right, the TikTok system. This is more the talk, right? This is the same physical design, pretty much. Some minor changes here and there. But this includes some features to me that do matter. And the A15 Bionic chip is one of them. Brand new image signal processor in it. Uh, some people have been posting Geekbench scores from this thing, both single and multi-core. And the single core are scary. Like, again, not saying anything against Android, but they spec'd it out Geekbench, compared the Geekbench store scores against some of the fastest yeah. processors that are in the Android phones. And it's night and day. Now that said, that doesn't translate necessarily to real world experience, right? I mean, specs are specs has nothing to do with real world experience, but there are some things that Apple is doing with their hardware and their cameras that I'm a fan of. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what, you know, for example, the ProMotion display that has a variable refresh rate up to 120 Hertz and down to 10, well, which is <laughs> really down to 10, because so if I'm it, just browsing a website, I don't want to be churning through 60 frames per second of, uh, of processing power of a battery. Yeah. And, um, when all I'm doing is reading text, right. And so there's a huge advantage to go either way, but you put your finger on it and go to scroll and it instantly ramps up to 120. So here's the thing. That's a battery saving technique, but that gives the end user experience, the feel of extreme speed and smoothness because it kicks in when you need it. Here's the other thing. My phone is a thousand nits max brightness, right? This is 1200, which means it's going to be better outside. Uh, ridiculous contrast ratio. And of course, it's IP68 rated, so six meters at, at 30 minutes. But then what you and I really care about, talk about the cameras. So first of all, I was annoyed with the, um, well, I, I guess every previous generation separating um, the, uh, the highest end smaller format uh, iPhone with the Max version of it, because the Max always seemed to have the better cameras. You know, it first started by um, adding by an image. By far sometimes. 
Yeah, by far. And sometimes it, it, I believe the first image stabilized ones for that generation, I think it was the iPhone Own, 6, yep. only, on, only the on the Macs. Um, and now I did some digging. Nobody was talking about any disparity between the Pro and the Pro Max in terms of the cameras. Were you able to find anything or are they identical? They are best I can tell. And I watched the Renee Ritchie video on it, which again, another channel you should, should uh, subscribe to. Best I can tell, there is no differentiation in cameras. Now the differentiation is, to me, what it should be. They both have the word pro in them. Max, to me, indicates size. That's really the differentiating factor now uh, of the, the, the Max versus the non-Max. So th this is huge for me because I was thinking, do I really have to go for the Pro Max? Because I, I do, if I'm going to go this way, I want to have the best cameras. Uh, now I don't have to, to go through to get the uh, the Pro Max. I can stick with the exact same form factor, w which I like. I mean, some people want the bigger screen and I completely understand that. But now the difference is, is for me, I get the best cameras. I'm perfectly happy. And those cameras have improved. Typically, the telephoto lens would give you a 2x um, extension compared to the regular optic. But now we're up to 3x optical zoom. And that, yes. I mean, that, that is huge because my, my phone becomes more and more of a family snaps type of camera. Because there's moments where I'm just out for a walk or we're in the backyard and something is happening. And all I can do in terms of time is run towards the happenings and take a picture. But if my camera is not sitting next to me, then I'm not going to get the shot. And so my phone is always in my pocket. And so I run and I get it. But so often, especially when those moments uh, I can kind of sneak up on a little bit, I was always switching it to a two times telephoto and I was almost always using that. Uh, and I was thinking, or, or feeling tempted to go digital zoom. And yeah. now Mike, my, my 12 pro max was 65 millimeters. The new one is 77 millimeters, which is where you go instead of two and a half time, you're going 35 to, millimeter to, equivalent. Let's state that, right? Yes. 35 millimeter. That's why I'm saying equivalent. Yeah. Uh, but three time instead of two and a half time optical. And we should say there are Android phones out there that do more than three time optical. So in some ways people are arguing, you know, finally Apple's at least at three, but again, if you do it right, okay, that lens, that telephoto is an F 2.8 with dual optical image stabilization. That's going to be a big deal for me. Especially and then you've got the light, wide yeah. and the ultra wide. Yeah. And, uh, I, I think I'll, I'll be honest. Um, my current iPhone is good enough, right? And I think that's something that- Which, which uh, one do you have again? The, the iPhone 12 Pro. Okay. Uh, and I was debating, you know, the 13 Pro, they're not labeling it as a 12S. So there's enough improvement within the device yeah. that they think deserves of a new number associated with it. Um, and and it, that, that also includes like a, a one terabyte option in terms of the hardware uh, on the higher end models. And, and so that's great. But I wonder what, what could they improve? Because if I'm going to buy the 13 Pro, and I'm very tempted to, uh, because as we're recording that, they start to go on sale the next morning, uh, 5 a.m. your time. Are you getting up to buy one, Steve? Or no, you're on the upgrade path. So is that an automatic thing? You still got to do it, though. If you want to okay. get it on time and not be you know on the back order part and get it in December, yes. And so I will be up at 5 the app, if you are on the upgrade plan, the app lets you go kind of pre-reserve your phone. You're not ordering it, but you're basically telling them, look, I intend to upgrade my phone. Here's what I want. 
it's saved. And what that does is make it easier when you check out. It just pulls up your kind of saved specs that you want. Right. Uh, now, the reason why I might not buy it has to do with what the next phone might be. Because I hate to buy, because I'm not on that upgrade path. I mean, yeah, I mean, I can give my 12 Pro to my wife and then she can retire her iPhone 11 or you know, uh, exchange that in for part of the a discount on the price and so on. But if the iPhone 14, if there's something in my mind that could create a like a vastly better camera experience, then I would skip the iPhone 13 Pro because there's something that is just on the horizon that people might be rumoring and talking about. But aside from you doing like a periscope style super telephoto lens and for super telephoto on a phone, it would probably be like between five and 10 times. And Gary in the chat says he's hugging his 10 times. Hugging zoom. his 10 time, yeah. Gary, that will eventually be at some point in phones if you can do that whole periscope style stuff. And, and I think... Is that going to be the next iteration from Apple? Is Apple going to make that leap? I don't think so. I think we would have seen whispers of patents or more from Apple than we currently have within that regard. We've seen some from Samsung. We've seen some from other manufacturers. I forget who else. Was it? It wasn't HTC. It was another. Yeah, but to me, this phone has, if you're going to upgrade, first of all, the three-time optical zoom is a reason to upgrade to me. For, for what I, for the way I use my phone camera, like I don't take my camera on vacations anymore. I take my phone, I challenge myself to use the phone. And there's been a few times I've gone, ah, I really wish I had my real camera, but most of the time I'm pretty happy with it. You're talking, you know, for low light, the, the wide now is 1.5, F1.5, dual OIS at 26 millimeters, ultra wide is 1.8 which is 120 degree field of view front cameras, 2.2. Um, oh, and here's the thing. This made me think of you when I saw it, the macro stuff. You ah, yeah. Mentioned the macro stuff. So get I was going to get Cause you're that. talking two, two centimeters. Right. And, and I, I, the other day I found a photo uh, or I found a scene in front of me. I made a photo of it, of, um, of the queen bee mating with their male counterpart. And they were just hanging out on the pavement when we were out for a walk. Uh, and I'm like, I, I posted it to Twitter saying, is this what I think it is? Um, and you know, I've never seen a queen bee before, like, and, and here it is, you know, uh, making the next generation of bees for whatever that hive's going to be. Bumblebees, do they, bumblebees have hives? I'm not sure. I can't remember. Anyhow, besides the point, the point is that I was able to take the phone. Except that now I'm going to have to know and I'm going to have to look it up. <laughs> sure. But I could take the phone and I could just place it down right on the ground, Right. And do a like side profile of that action, if we can call it that happening. They stay stuck together for like an hour, I'm, I'm told. Um, but it's it's a really cool tool to do that kind of work. Um, you know, right down to the surface level. And I haven't used it as much for macro, uh, partly because it wasn't great at it. You'd have to add extra optics. I have a moment macro lens, and we'll get into that in, in a second. But the ability to focus closer uh, will give a shallower depth of field, and and hopefully um, that uh, is not a detriment but an advantage in certain ways because you can get a really dreamy look without having to computationally add it in um, on that look. So I can. That's one of the things that's kind of pushing me also towards doing that um uh, that upgrade i mean because it's two got that centimeters two centimeters for those that that aren't in the metric system is about th three quarters of an inch you can focus this thing at three quarters of an inch for macro on a phone that to me is a big big deal 
Yeah, but at the same time, at the same time, I had the ability to do that with my Moment macro lenses. And so I was, I you know, I was a hipster and I bought the Moment case that had the um, um, the wood grain on it because uh, that's just what I am. And that's what, it, my sensibilities. The, the new one I bought, uh, I, assuming that I was going to buy the, the 13 Pro, uh, has a nice leather finish on it. Uh, you know, black leather, which I think is a little bit less hipster, but I'll still take it. But in that description, <laughs> in that description, there was a side note that said not compatible with Moment M series products. Now it's MagSafe compatible and a lot of other stuff, but not compatible with M series and M series products are the lenses, the add-on lenses and stuff that are modular that would fit into the uh, to the camera mode. And I was wondering. Okay, did they just not have it in time to design it for it? Or is it now no longer a requirement to throw on a telephoto lens or a macro lens because the cameras in the phone itself are that much more flexible in those regards? Or maybe um, the image um, the uh, the image circle of the add-on lenses now has to be re-engineered because these are bigger sensors and bigger lenses on the back of the camera and you would have horrible vignetting and a bad user experience. No, I, sure. I think it's the camera bump. These, these camera bumps are bigger. So I think when they put the lens on, the way this case is designed, the bump is too big to mount the lens is my guess because these, these are a, a pronouncedly bigger bump. Uh, yeah, um, but, 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 you say, but you said something interesting. Maybe these lenses are so good, their feeling is you don't really need add-on lenses. Look, when you, when you start adding stuff, like when they came out with portrait mode, okay, Android had had it, Apple came out with it, really cool feature, doesn't work for a lot of stuff I would shoot. Like if I shoot a whiskey glass with a bottle behind it, it misses the top of the glass all the time. I have to go in and adjust the aperture. It's horrible with bald heads like mine because it always can't find the edge of the head. But now taking that to video, you're going to have a camera in your pocket that records ProRes. ProRes isn't coming out day one, by the way, with, with these phones and with iOS 15, but it is coming. ProRes recording at 4K30, and you're going to be able to shoot cinematic mode, which is effectively kind of like a portrait mode, but it's a pull focus. It's a rack focus. It's automatic, but can be manual because that was my first thing when they showed the demo was, okay, it's great. He looks away and it pulls to somebody else. What if it pulls to the wrong thing? You can do it manually, but here's the thing. It's editable in post, not just the aperture like on a portrait shot. Right. You can actually edit the because the depth of field is there. It's capturing the entire um, uh, depth map. Well, and this and is their also introduction of this portrait mode for video, which, you know, um, you know but you're you basically can't change the focus it. point in portrait mode. N no, you in the Apple well, app, you can only change the aperture, right here. You can change the focus point in post. Cool. I mean, so, uh, you know, I, I just, I keep thinking that there's a lot of computational photography, especially when you, you've got camera sensors that are the same resolution. The sensors have not changed, I don't believe. You set a different image signaling processor, and that's great. But the sensors, I believe, are the same for all of them. There might be some subtle changes, but they're all going to be the same resolution at the very least. Uh, and to that end, what you're doing with the information that you receive 
is where the bigger difference is. And yes, the different lenses in the telephoto uh, and the optics are going to be changing too, but the sensors are the same. Everything else is being amped up and the difference is palpable. Yeah, they, they, they messed up one thing though. I really want, I love face ID when it works. When they made it work with masks, okay, great. Except that a lot of times it still doesn't work. And you have to have an Apple and, Watch to, to make that work with the mask, right? Which I have. And I'm probably going to buy the new Apple Watch too because it's got something in it I want. But here's the thing. The iPad has Touch ID in the on-off button. So give me the Face ID, but add Touch ID to my button, please. And you yeah. didn't. Yeah, or you know, hide it behind the screen or on the back somewhere. You can hide it in so many different places, even though I know that they... That, that I think is going to be uh, a, a, a like for more than just a talk upgrade. It's going to be that that tick, that that completely new iteration, yeah. and the talk being just a um, you know, uh, or is it the way around? Is is tick the big one and talk the small one? I can't. Tick remember. is the big one. Talk is the small. Okay, so I, I think that for the next big iteration, they're going to do feature improvements like that while they leave other things like the cameras largely the same, computationally improved, of course, by having a bigger processor and being able yep. to do more with it. But um, speaking of computational photography, this is a segue into the next Hold story. That was good. Okay. <laughs> I try, I try. Um so Petapixel ran an article, and this was uh, uh, submitted by one of the listeners. Thank you very much for that. Uh, photography Simulator is a wildlife photography video game for the PC. And so, you know, I, I looked at this and I scrolled through. Basically, you are a uh, virtual photographer putting yourself in virtual landscapes with virtual subjects and trying to take pictures of this. And this struck me as, why the heck did this not exist before? Yep. More than a decade Same ago. Thing. More than a decade ago, you could play hunting games, right? And why would you play a hunting game uh, from your uh, computer when you could just go out and hunt? Well, you can't always just go out and hunt. Like, you can't always go out and shoot. You could try different equipment in terms of guns and scopes and bullets and stuff. And in terms of camera gear, you could try out different lenses and focal lengths and ranges. And maybe that will inform your purchasing decisions moving forward. Or it'll at least give you experience as to how that field of view works. And yeah, maybe an 18 millimeter lens is not the greatest thing to use for grizzly bears because they'll kill you um better to learn that virtually than try that in the field right there's there's reasons for this but but not only can it inform your purchasing decisions it can show you what different landscapes and compositions might feel like and give you a pseudo experience for when say if you're going uh, i've been to the yukon twice had i had a tool like this um, that I could use to approximate the landscapes and the feel of snow covering uh, a yellowish fall colored leaf type of landscape, what I could expect when I'm there and what options I could bring with me before I even left on the trip. You know, there's a lot of ways where this is a useful thing uh, for training purposes, for educational. And you know what? I, I haven't played it yet. I, I was looking at some of the video, the screenshots and what have you. This will be a professional excuse to play a video game for which I am all for. Well, and two things really quick. One, I just have to stress, do not use an 18 millimeter lens to photograph a bear. Right? And in <laughs> yeah. case, for some reason, if that didn't 
come through wherever you're what whatever country you're watching this is whatever your na- your native language is let me translate it for you don't ever use an 18 millimeter lens for photographing a bear it okay? will kill you i said those yes. words it will kill you you did say those words in in yeah and gary had a really good question and i want to know i want those developers to chime in cuz if they if they didn't do this then they're clearly asleep and what gary said let me let me pull this up on on for those watching video <laughs> What Gary said was, but does it emulate you leaving on the lens cap? You have to press a key on the keyboard to take your lens cap off and on. That has to be an option. I'm just saying, he's saying it as a joke, but in all honesty- No, no, it would be useful to keep your lens cap on if you're out in a snowstorm or in in, in rain. Keep it on until you go to shoot. If you left it off, you take your pictures, there's bunches of rain spots all over it. it, it. It is, if you're the developer of this- and that's not in there, and you don't put this in here, dude, come on. So this is from a, a company called Mad, Madnetic Games, which is part of a company out of Poland called Playway. Poland, uh, Poland's Playway is actually a shareholder company. They have shareholder parts in about 70 different game companies. And they do a lot of games kind of similar to this. Thief Simulator, Car Mechanic Simulator, House Flipper, uh, Mr. Prepper, things like that. What I like about this game is at least it's not out yet, right? I mean, there's no release date for this, but you plan what gear you're going to take on the shoot. You take the shot. It even goes into career building and you selling the shots. You get to choose a camera. Yeah, that's a really drone. cool. I mean, th- really. And and by the way, I'm laughing a little bit at it, but let's be honest. That's a skill set. It right? is. You, I mean, being able to market yourself is, uh, I mean, it, it, it's an unsung skill. Uh, you know, I, I negotiate prices with clients all the time. And and so often I feel like I'm underselling myself, right? Like I, I'm not, I, I'm not giving it everything that I possibly could produce, but you know, th- this game seems like it should be something from the company Maxis. Remember Maxis? Oh Yeah. They made the early Sim games, and who the was the Sims. guy? Uh, well, like Sim Copter and Sim Ant and Sim Tower and yep. Sim City, of course. Uh, Will Wright was the guy that made. It. You know, this is the kind of thing that Will Wright would uh, would do, and uh, and so I, I see that, and, and I think, okay, this could teach you a lot while you're having fun at the same time. Would I do this on a regular basis? No, but if there's a piece of knowledge that I know that I would only be able to get in the field and in the field means in a business conversation, selling a print or, uh, you know, actually physically in the field, like in the professional environment, one way or another, um, I could gain skills, uh, without actually, you know, putting my reputation, uh, to the test. And well, and, and it looks really well thought out. So, I mean, if, if you take this thing really seriously, by the way, it's supposed to be available on Steam. If you take this thing seriously, you're talking your, your choice of camera or drone or binoculars. You've got full manual controls and full manual selection of the gear, meaning you can change your lenses, you can change your camera settings. I'm hoping, and this to me is the big question, is how much, I don't want to say time, I don't, I don't know that it's time, how much attention to detail did they give to the shots that you take on your 18 millimeter, you know, at, or, or, or let's switch that. The shots that you take on your 70 to 200 at 2.8 compared to your 70 to 200 at F11, 
are, am I going to see the actual difference in lens, not just depth of field? Am I going to see lens compression differences, distortions? If those exist, they're labeling this is the, a, the number of aperture diaphragms in the descriptions of certain items. And if that's the case, then that must have an impact on the resulting sure. bokeh in the background uh, being heptagonal versus hexagonal. Uh, you know, Strike a so deal with Sigma to put their lenses in here and simulate the look of their lenses or something. I mean, there's a lot here that this could become not just a game, but an actual training tool. Gary made the comment not to mention battery charging and missing memory cards. Oh, yeah. It's got to have a thing where your battery drains, please, and you have to change your battery just like a first-person shooter. You've got to reload. But it would be really funny if periodically, just randomly, you had a memory card error. Just saying. Yeah, or as Gary continues to say, Gary, thank you for being in the chat, as always, when we do these things live. It would be cool if uh, they would include different camera models, uh, you know, with different differences in terms of sensor size, or I I'm I'm paraphrasing Gary, I'm just adding details, well, whether it be se uh, sensor size or uh, dynamic range or rate of fire and number of frames per second, etc. Uh, and uh, even film, you know, wouldn't it be cool to have a, a film camera option just to compare that to as totally well? Totally agree. So yeah, no, I think this is a really cool tool. And I wanted to, to spotlight this at the end of this episode, just to make sure everybody's aware. This is not just a gimmicky thing. I really see that this does have legs for learning the craft in ways that you would have no other way, aside from in the field techniques of photographing, a, you know, a poisonous snake in the Australian outback, which honestly, I'm never going to do. But if I was, I'd want to have every amount of pre-experience possible before I find myself in that scenario. And let's just be clear. Don't photograph the Australian snake in the outback <laughs> two centimeters away with your iPhone 13 Pro Max. Please, no, I just, please I not. want safety first. <laughs> safety first. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, with that said, and uh, thank you for going through all the stories with me, Steve, before we get to our picks of the week, uh, where can people find you online, your podcast, the stuff that we do together, but also the stuff that you do amazingly on your own and all of the musings you have on social media? Uh, the easiest way to find me as it is at uh, stevebrazil.com. That's the same as the country Brazil, but two L, so B-R-A-Z-I-L-L.com. The podcast is at behindtheshot.tv. On social media, it's uh, pretty much the same. It's at Steve Brazel or at Behind the Shot TV uh, on Instagram or Twitter. That's usually the place that I'm I'm hanging out. And of course, on YouTube, it's Behind the Shot, the Flickr group that Don and I do our critique shows from. We select the images from. That's at Flickr slash group slash Behind the Shot. Just go search for Behind the Shot and you'll find the group there and and join us there because we just did one today with Andy Anatko that was just a blast so that's if the not the best it was one of the best oh yeah it was so good today yeah uh and you can find me at uh, doncom.ca d-o-n-k-o-m.ca of course on social media in a variety of different places you'll find me on uh on twitter uh, and you'll find me on Instagram and on Facebook and on Flickr. You know, I, if you want to see my work in its best form, Flickr is a great place to see it. You'll see all my EXIF data, no compromise on the notes that go uh, with the images because Instagram limits the uh, amount of space that you can write. You'll, you'll hit that limit after you before you hit a full written page of text. Twitter, of course, has its limits too. Uh, but Flickr is great. So is Facebook. Uh, and also, uh, you know, check out the stuff that I can provide to you now 
that I can't provide to you in like a month or two when I'm overseas, at least for a significant window of time. You know, if you want to print, ask me, I'll, I'll make you a print. I've been doing a lot of printing lately. Uh, and, uh, and of course my books, but the printing is a segue to my pick of the week because, you know, especially if you want to get the highest resolution prints I and mean, my printer that prints to 600 DPI, will anybody really notice the difference between three and 600 DPI on certain mediums? Probably not. Uh, media is the plural for mediums or medium. Anyhow, uh, my point is that for some images that people have been requesting, I shot them years ago and I might've cropped in heavily and it would have been good for web use, but maybe a print was iffy. Uh, and I've been looking at ways to increase the resolution beyond the default um, sort of fractal algorithms that you can get from uh, on one resize, which is still great by the way. And it mimics the, uh, the resize options now available in Photoshop. But I was playing around with uh, Topaz Labs. Uh, they have their Gigapixel AI. And, you know, I was skeptical at first because a lot of this stuff is going to be trained for portraiture and uh, landscapes and, you know, uh, architectural things. But I've been using it in a lot of my macro work, and it's been pulling out textures really, really nicely um, with effort that I would have taken three or four steps of uh, doing unsharp masking and massaging that a little bit and trying to play around with all sorts of different features and upscaling tools. This just does it all at once. And I haven't really explored all of the options. They've got options for low resolution images or highly compressed images uh, along the way. I'm not dealing with those scenarios. So I've just kept it at their standard. Uh, and on occasion, I've I've dialed down the noise reduction because it sometimes detects certain textures as noise and smooths things out a bit too much, but you've got the control to adjust for that. And I'll tell you, uh, any image that I am up for print from now on is going to run through this tool or something competitive to it. But this is the one that I've been using. Uh, and it is, it is worth the effort if you want to get the best results for your work. And, you know, I often think, you know, if it's based on a neural engine and the artificial intelligence, is it really the end, is the end result my image afterwards? And I flip between the two because it generates a new layer in Photoshop. I use it as a Photoshop plugin and you can turn the new layer off and compare it to the previous one, zoom around anywhere in the image and nowhere thus far have I seen it make a choice that didn't look real. Uh, and Here, that, here's a question. Can you run it on a, on a, a smart object? I have not tried to run it on a smart object. So no. instead of just having a separate layer, you could theoretically go in, modify the settings and come back. I've, uh, I've run it on an image that has had multiple layers and just upscales all the layers. Uh, right. It just takes a heck of a lot longer, but I haven't tried smart objects because I typically don't use, uh, use that. But um, it, it, to the end though, uh, I like it. I, I like it enough to make it a pick of the week because, you know, I want the most detail that I can get. And often I'm pushing up against the limits of diffraction and I'm pushing up uh, against resolution. I've got um, in my studio right now, amidst uh, all of the framed prints that I'm doing for the Kickstarter backers, of which I still have half of them to, to deliver. Um, but I got to switch up things once in a while or else I lose my sanity. So I've got a 48 by 60, uh, 48 by 36, uh, four foot by three foot uh, canvas artwork reproduction. 
And uh, I had shot that on my camera with a high resolution mode. And I had done it in a high resolution mode in four quadrants and combined them together. And even then, I upscaled it using Gigapixel AI. Wow. Uh, and you can nose up to the details in that. And I mean, it doesn't have texture, obviously, it's on canvas, but it doesn't have the texture of the original paint. I would, aside from that difference, you'd be hard pressed to tell the two apart. And interesting. Uh, and so I used Gigapixel AI for that. That is my pick of the week. You know what I like on the website is they show tons of before and afters with the sliders. Examples, I yeah, mean, yeah. Tons. And of you examples. know they're going to be cherry picked. Obviously, they're in oh, their sure. promotion. I'm okay with that, though. I'm yeah. actually okay with that because uh, as long as there's a variety of subject matter, right. I can get an idea of a best case scenario. Um, so I'm okay with that. Yeah. Uh, and you've kept your pick of the week secret for me. You gave me a bunch of options to start with, and I don't know which one you've decided. So what are you bringing to the table today? So I was struggling because I was going to pick all my new Canon gear because I swapped out everything. I bought the Trinity lenses, the bodies, but we talked about the Canon stuff earlier and I figured we'd mention that. And there were a couple other ones. And then I went, you know, I, I, I don't know if I've picked this before, but even if I did, this needs to be picked again. My buddy David Bergman is a tour photographer for Bon Jovi and now Luke Combs. He's a longtime photojournalist. He's a Canon explorer of light. And in my opinion, in live music photography, for example, he's one of the best out there, but not just that. Photojournal, again, sports photographer. Um, he has shot Olympics. He is well known for the gigapan shot that he did of the Obama inauguration. This guy is an all around fantastic photographer. And he has a thing that he does. He does it for Adorama TV. Uh, it's called Ask David Bergman. And basically what it is, is you can go to his website, which is askdavidbergman.com and you fill out this form. And it's a question that you're submitting for the show. That's really all that there is to it. You just go submit a question. Now here you can find the latest episodes as well, but the key is you come here to quote unquote, ask David Bergman a question. And he chooses these and he makes fairly short, you know, five, some minutes, sometimes, sometimes 10 minutes, maybe 15. And he makes episodes for Adorama TV. Now, if you go to Adorama TV, there is a huge playlist of shots that he has uh, that just scroll and scroll and scroll of questions, linear polarizing filter, what's in my camera bag, how do I get a pure white background, uh, culling through images and photo mechanic, sRGB versus Adobe RGB, multiple flash power, etc. But Here's the thing. So when I bought all my Canon gear, he's a concert photographer. So I called David to ask him some questions about some settings and how he had his, his R5 and, and his 1DX and everything set up. And he said to me, here's a tip. This is a great autofocus tip that you need to know about. And he described this, this autofocus tip. And I said to him, well, but I'd switch these two. It was a great tip I'd never heard of. And it's for people who use back button autofocus. <clears throat> I'm not going to go through the whole thing because I'm going to tell you, go watch it on Adorama TV on, on YouTube. But it was using the back button autofocus, which I use. And generally, you have a certain autofocus setting there. But then he reprograms his star button, which is normally an AE lock uh, button. He reprograms that to switch autofocus modes. Oh, cool. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Now what I have, 
I use the AF on button for normal autofocus, which for me is what's called single point expansion with eight points around it. Mm -hmm. When I push the star button, the camera automatically switches to I. There's a lot of times in music photography where eyes can't be caught, either lighting or hair in the way or a microphone in the way or something. But I can at the switch of a button switch. And it just so happens that David, after talking to me, goes, you know what? I'm going to do an episode on just this. And he did. So here is the, the episode. It's the latest one. Let me go look at the playlist again. Might be the next to the latest one. Uh, it's a couple down actually now. But you've got Canon R5 and R6 fast eye autofocus switching. And this tip changed the way that I shoot on my R5 or my R6. And the reason I'm picking Ask David Bergman is because every episode that he does, and I've been shooting a long time, every episode that he does either makes me go, what? I can do oh my God, and changes the way that I shoot or makes me go, oh yeah, you know what? I should have been doing that. I, I knew that. Or it's something I didn't know at all and I learned something. So askdavidbergman.com, the Ask David Bergman playlist for Adorama on YouTube. And uh, trust me, you will not be disappointed. Subscribe to that channel. A wonderful pick of the week, Steve. I appreciate that. And I'm going to check it out too. I always like stuff that just I can play in the background while I'm editing an image or something. And it seems exactly like the kind of stuff where I'm going to gain little nuggets of knowledge, even if I'm not paying complete 100% attention, because I'll be honest, a lot of those videos, some stuff doesn't interest me or, uh, you know, it's just, I've got so many of them running through just continuously to the next, to the next, to the next. And oh, I, uh, uh, peek in and say, okay, well, I don't want to just completely forget about what I'm doing here and watch that. Um, and it seems like that kind of content um, that will, uh, it'll not always align with your uh, perfect interests, but you'll find what you want in there somewhere uh, along the way, especially how long has he been doing it? How many videos are there? Oh my gosh. Uh, it should 246. Wow. wow. 246 video. Oh no, I'm sorry. Uh, it says 248. That's something else. Uh, it says 103 videos. That's uh, still a lot. It, yeah, it's still a lot. But here's the thing. He will go out like he just, he'll want to show you something on lighting a portrait. He's got a mannequin head. Takes the okay. mannequin head outside and we'll talk about balancing it with light. You know, softening the light, different light modifiers. Really, honestly, there is something you know, carrying two cameras, just there's something for everybody. And my argument would be watch the ones you think, yeah, that's not for me. Cause the odds are knowing David, he will just say something that makes you go, okay, that was worth it right there. Right. Uh, awesome. Again, I, I can't speak highly enough about how much I respect this guy and the fact that he shares this knowledge so freely that to me is a win all the way around. But again, if you're an R5 or R6 or 1DX Mark II, Mark III shooter, this autofocus tip, if you use back button focus, which I do, will change the way you shoot. It is that freaking good. Awesome. And you learn that from askdavidbergman.com, right? Yep. All right. Well, thank you for that pick of the week, Steve. And that brings us to the end of another episode of Photo Geek Weekly. And I want to make this one a special one. There are certain parts of the world that aren't great right now. Uh, you know, at least in, in Ontario, uh, things are pretty good. 
Alberta, maybe not so much. Various parts of the United States are in various parts of good and bad. I just want to say, going back to our original tagline for the first time right now, you got to be safe out there. You got to be careful out there. But at this point in the game, it's time to get out and shoot. (music) Thank <music> you.